All right, John chapter 15. As we are continuing in our study of the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 9 tonight, where we left off last week. A couple things. Uh, I brought some digging into Psalms and Proverbs books in case someone would like one tonight. Since we have them available on Sunday, I thought maybe I ought to start bringing a few on Tuesday night. So anyway, if you'd like one, please come up, get one after Bible study. Two... Please be in prayer for Sunday. If you haven't already heard, our first bilingual service will be Sunday. Uh, And we're going to have quite a a nice, I think, group of folks with us. So, uh, and specifically, be praying for me. I've got to totally change the way I speak. So, uh, pray that, that I can do that. That God will enable me to do that. Um, so anyway, we're looking forward to that. It should be, a, should be an exciting Sunday, as always, at the Oasis. So, Jesus here is sharing his last words with his disciples. And one of the big things that is on the disciples' mind is obviously the disconnection that they feel is coming when Jesus goes back to the Father. And they're so wanting to stay connected to Jesus. And so we saw last week where Jesus says, Look, you'll be able to fellowship intimately and closely with me. And here's how you can do that. And so all through this passage, Jesus is trying to reassure them and and, and comfort them and strengthen them that even though he's physically not going to be present like he's been for the last three years, They're still going to be uh, able to stay close to Him, fellowship with Him, and be in contact with Him just in a different way than they've been used to in the last three years. Now when we come to verse 9, speaking of connection, Jesus begins to take all these sort of different things that might seem like they're disconnected or could be disconnected and he begins tying them all together. And, and I think that one of the things that God wants to show us and, and wants us to be aware of and wants us to be mindful of is that every area of our spiritual life and walk with Him affects other areas either positively or negatively. And, and there's no such thing as compartmentalization with God. We may try to compartmentalize things in our own life, but God over and over again shows us that that is not the case when it comes to our relationship with Him and our spiritual life and walk. And again, we're going to see how Jesus then begins to sort of weave all these different things together and tie them together. Let's begin in verse 9 where Jesus makes this declaration to his followers, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. And Jesus there is not only obviously declaring his love for the disciples, but he's saying, in the same way that the Father loves me, I love you. 
And it's also a reminder, because we've been talking about this through our study of, of John, how the Trinity is all tied together too. And when one is doing something, they're all doing it. They're not disjointed. They're not disconnected. So in a sense, we could say if God, the Father, is loving, then so is the Son of God, Jesus, loving us. And so is God, the Holy Spirit, loving us. One of the Trinity is not loving us, and the other two is not. That doesn't happen, ever. So anytime you see Jesus even saying, I love you, obviously God the Father and God the Spirit does as well. They always work in perfect harmony and unity with each other. But notice here what Jesus is telling his followers. Again, speaking about the importance of staying connected to him. He says, but I want you to remain in my love. I want you to stay in my love. I want you to abide in my love. I want you to continue in my love. Literally, I want you to keep yourself in a place where you can benefit and be blessed by my love. Now notice something that Jesus is teaching here. The Bible teaches that we are unconditionally Loved by God. That means there's never a time where God doesn't love us. There's never been a time where God didn't love us. There's never going to be a time where God doesn't love us. So when Jesus says to his followers, remain in my love, he's not saying, now look, you can get to a place where I won't love you anymore. He's talking there again about a place where his love can benefit us and bless us, where in a sense we can experience his love. Jesus will never walk away from us. He, his love will never walk away from us. But we, through our disobedience, through our willfulness, through all of these things, we can walk away from fellowship with Him and take ourselves out of the place where we can truly benefit and be blessed by His love. And when we do that, in a sense, we're not in fellowship with God. And therefore, there's a, a disconnect, if you will. It's not that our relationship with God changes. It's the fellowship changes and there's that disconnect. And because the disciples are so concerned that they stay connected to Jesus, I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus is saying, look, you want to stay connected to me even though I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father? Then remain in my love. Stay in a place. Keep yourself in a place where you truly experience my love and benefit from it and I will bless you. Because, again... Even though Jesus' love for us is unconditional, that doesn't mean that there's not a sphere, if you will, that if I take myself outside of it, that somehow Jesus is going to continue to treat me a certain way. You see, love is discriminating. He's not going to bless me and pour all these benefits into my life if I'm living in disobedience. See, we, we sometimes have a warped view of love. We somehow then think, well, then he doesn't love me unconditionally. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. But he wants to bless our lives and he wants to shower his favor and, and he wants uh, 
to, to benefit us, and, and that only takes place when we remain in fellowship with Him. Now, this concept, if you will, this principle is really taught and illustrated throughout the Word of God. So I just want to take a minute because this is such an important one. And I I just want to spend a few moments on this principle. Keep your finger in John 15 and go back to the book of Jude. The book of Jude is the next to last book of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. And you'll notice that Jude mentions this concept as well in his book. He does so, since it's only one chapter, in verse... 21. And notice what Jude says in Jude chapter 1, if you will, verse 21. He says, maintain yourselves in the love of God. Stand firm in the love of God. Preserve yourselves, persevere in the love of God. Which again implies that not every Christian will maintain themselves in that place where they can experience God's love. Where they can benefit from it. They, you and I, can take ourselves out of that place. Again, God never walks away from us. His love never walks out on us. But you and I through our choices and decisions and all of that, can take ourselves out of the place where we are going to experience God's love. Now, go back with me to the Gospel of Luke for just a minute, to chapter 15. I don't think there's a better story in the Bible that illustrates this principle than the story of the prodigal son. And I just want to take a moment and read this passage beginning at chapter 15 of Luke, verse 11. We're going to stop before he starts talking about the other brother, because even though there's great truth in in that, that doesn't apply to what we're talking about tonight. So I'll stop after the son comes home. So Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. After a few days, the younger son gathered together all he had and left on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with a wild lifestyle. Then after he had spent everything, a severe famine took place in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and worked for one of the citizens of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to eat the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare, but here I am dying from hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while, his, while he was still a long way from home, his father saw him and his heart went out to him. He ran and hugged his son and kissed him. Then his son said to, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to to him, to his slaves, excuse me, hurry, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now again, you'll note here in this story, There was never an issue that he wasn't his son any longer, right? That's never the case. 
The relationship was never in danger. But when this son chose to take his inheritance and go squander it and do what he wanted to do, he literally took himself out of the place where he could experience every day his father's love for him. He took himself out of the place where he could benefit and be blessed by the father who loved him when he left. And that's just a great illustration of what Jesus and Jude is talking about when Jesus says, remain in my love, and Jude says, maintain yourselves in the love of God. You see, it's not that the father didn't love the son when he was out squandering his inheritance and living that way. He always loved him. But he also wasn't going to chase after him. He was going to allow his son to feel the pain of that separation between him and the way things were at home. Hopefully so that that pain would cause him to turn back again, which he did, and come back to the Father so that they could be in fellowship again and so he could begin to experience the benefits and blessings of the Father's love. Now, let me give you one last extreme example. The most extreme example of this is that one day there are going to be millions of souls that are sent to the lake of fire apart from God for all eternity. And what the Bible teaches is, even in that case, those people who chose to reject Jesus Christ and live eternally apart from God are still and always will be loved by God. They are creations of His, and even though they will eternally spend time apart from God, it doesn't mean God ever ceased loving them. And yet, obviously, they chose to take themselves out of a place where they could ever experience, benefit, or be blessed by God's love. So back to John 15. Jesus is saying, look, one of the things that will encourage you and empower you and, and strengthen you is to remain in this place of my love through fellowship with me. Don't break that, Jesus said. Stay connected to me. Don't walk away from my love because I want to bless you. I want to pour out my benefit and favor upon you. I want you to really experience my love for you. But if you walk away, you'll take yourself out of that place. And can I say, that's why there are Christians who in a sense are very well aware of and experience God's love because of the way they are living their life. And there are other Christians that are, that are very, and if you will, spiritually dried up and, and sort of in pain and feel such a sense of loss because the way they are living and the choices and decisions that they're making and the priorities that they're living by has not kept them in that place. And they're like the prodigal who, who you know, senses that, that things aren't right and, and that they're not in a place that they should be. But the key is, are they going to get to such a place as the prodigal where the pain becomes so great and the loss of what they know they could have if they stayed in fellowship with God causes them, in a sense, to turn back around and run back to God. Because as we learn in the story of the prodigal son, 
is that the Father's always there to welcome us back. Always. Again, the question is never that God walks away from us. It's, are we choosing to walk away from God? And from the great blessings and benefits that comes from keeping ourselves connected with Christ in fellowship with Him. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then he goes on in chapter 15 of John to say these words. If you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love. And now Jesus begins to tie all this together. So the first thing is, you need to remain in my love. How do I do that? Obey. Obedience. And the word obey here means literally to observe with great care, to, in a sense, handle with care. We use that phrase a lot, you know. Something is very fragile, could be easily broken or something. You see a handle with care, you know, on it. Jesus is saying that's the kind of attitude that we should have as we approach his commandments. And how can we handle His principles, precepts, commandments if we don't know them? Which obviously then backs us up to the point where we need to to strive to get into God's Word and know what are the principles, precepts, and commandments of God. Because how can I obey them if I don't even know them? How can I say I'm observing them with great care, that I'm taking great pains with them, that I'm handling them with care if I don't even know what they are? And Jesus says this is one clear way, always, that we can remain in that place is through our obedience. And then he says, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. So Jesus set the example. And let's not forget the, the, the example that Jesus set. Because Jesus was willing to follow the Father all the way to the cross. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 2? He became obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus is saying to us, are we going to trust God and surrender to God's will for us no matter what it is? And Jesus did, even in the garden, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And Jesus gave us a great example and followed the Father's will and followed the commandment of the Father for his life, again, all the way to the end. And God asks us to do the same thing. Again, that's why we talked Sunday about the foundation of prayer has got to be faith. I've got to, through my constant connection with God, affirm what I believe and who He is, you see. And that's what Jesus is saying to us here. And then He says, notice this, how He ties now more together. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now, already back in chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus talked about my peace I'm going to give you. Now he says, you can also experience my joy, my personal joy we can share with Jesus. So again, this reminds us that 
as followers of Jesus Christ and as God's children, we, we never become a God like some religions teach and cults teach. But we can share certain attributes of God. What are called the communicable attributes of God. And two of them, Jesus talks about here. His peace and joy. You can share Jesus' peace in your life, and Jesus wants to share his joy with us. But notice something, how he ties this together. How do I experience his joy? Through obeying his commands and through remaining in his love. That's how. It all starts to tie together. And and let me say this. This is important. Defining joy here, I would define it this way. It is the exhilaration of being right with God. That's what joy is. The exhilaration of being right with God. There's nothing that's any better than that. That's what brings joy. And notice Jesus says, and I want your joy in your life to be complete. It's a word that literally means filled to the brim. That if you filled up a glass, there would be no room for anything else. Jesus says, that's the kind of exhilaration of being right with God I want every one of my followers to experience. That kind of joy. Of knowing that, again, maybe the circumstances in my life aren't totally right and and, and there's adversity and there's affliction and there's struggles and everything, but me and God, we're okay. That's joy. That's why circumstances and, and things that happen in our life can't take the joy away from us because joy from God isn't dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on what happens to us or doesn't happen to us. Joy is a stable constant in our life or can be because if we're right with God, we can experience fullness of joy. We can literally have the joy of Jesus pulsating through our being as we walk through life. Now let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this. I just want you to ponder it and think about it. How many Christians do you know that you would go, boy, they really have the joy of Jesus in their life? And the reason I ask that question is I think then what that means is if we have a hard time coming up just real quickly with a bunch of believers that really exhibit and express the joy that we all should be having, then we've got to start checking out, well then... Am I really obeying his commands and remaining in his love? Because the byproduct of those two things is the experience of his joy. That's what Jesus says. And that's why, again, he takes all these things that could seem disjointed. His love, obedience, and joy. And he ties them all together here for his disciples. Because, again, he wants his disciples, after he leaves, to stay connected to him and to experience the blessing and benefit of being in fellowship with him. And Jesus here is clearly teaching all of us, not just his disciples, how do we do that? How do we do that? Then, notice this. I love this. So then he picks out of all the commandments, because he's already said, if you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love. Oh, and by the way, out of all the commandments Jesus could have picked, Notice which one he picked to give them an example to do so that they will remain in his love and experience joy. He says, and here's a commandment, my commandment, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. Wow. So now we as believers, as Christians, if we're going to experience joy, if we want to experience the joy of Jesus, if we want to remain in a place of of His love where we can benefit and be blessed and favored by His love, then that also calls us out to begin to love each other as Jesus loves us. Well, there again, maybe that's where the breakdown is. I think that's... A lot of, of why, you know, in churches today, in the body of Christ today, Christians aren't encouraged to even be in relationship with each other, much less love each other. And my point would be, how can I express what Jesus here is clearly saying is very important to him if I don't have relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I express my love to them? How can I love them as Christ loved them If I have no relationship with them, if I don't even know them, if I don't fellowship with them, if I'm not part of a local church where we're building relationships with each other so that we can actually love each other as Jesus calls us to. You can. See? We can. And I think Jesus is saying, look, you want to experience my joy? You want to remain in my love? Love each other. Love each other. Selflessly, sacrificially, as I have loved you. A love of choice. Jesus says, love. And then he goes on to say, verse 13, No one has greater love... This word is used of intensity and degree. In other words, there's no greater intensity of love. There's no greater degree of love that can be expressed in this. That you or I would be willing to lay down our life for our friends. It means to willingly give up or lay aside our life. Think of it this way. An an illustration, it's, it's not the best, but two people are walking towards a door. And only one can get through that door at a time. What Jesus here is saying is that every time that happens, let the other person go. Get out of their way. Lay aside our life. Let them go. Look out for others' interests as much as we look out for our own. Philippians chapter 2. Giving up or laying aside our life here isn't just being willing to die for someone once in our life, if that would ever happen. It's literally putting others before us. Placing them ahead of us. And Jesus lived this way every day of his life while he was here on earth. And he calls us as his disciples to do the same. Now notice this, I love this. He says, you are my friends, my trusted confidants, if you do what I command you. And then he goes on to say, I no longer call to you or speak to you as slaves, as servants of mine merely, as mere attendants, because the slave does not understand what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I've revealed to you everything I heard from my father. 
don't miss what Jesus here is saying. First of all, we're not automatically friends of God as Jesus defines it here. I can be a child of God. I can have a relationship with God. But that doesn't mean I'm a friend of God. Friend of God is a conditional thing. In fact, if you note this, if you study the Word of God, I think you'll come to the same conclusion I do. God doesn't throw around the, the concept of being a friend of His very much in the Word of God. There aren't too many people that God calls His friends. Because implied in that word is the idea of closeness and intimacy. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you can have a relationship with me and you can be a servant of mine and you, you can be my attendant. And you can sort of watch what, what's going on and stuff, but, but there's a whole other level, guys, that I want you to get, Jesus is saying to his own father. I want you to be friends with me. I want that closeness and that intimacy because when we're in close contact and fellowship with people and we consider them trusted confidants, guess what? Just by the mere fact that they're our friends, then they know more about us and what's going on in our life than anybody else does. Obviously, an acquaintance of ours isn't going to know as much about our heart and our mind and, and what our strengths and weaknesses are and what our priorities are and what our heart is. They're not going to know as much as a friend because implied in the word friend is close. It's someone that's close to you. And Jesus wants us to be close to him so that he can reveal more to us so that we then have a greater understanding. Notice how that all's tied together. See? Jesus says, I'm not going to reveal things to someone that's not a trusted confidant. But if you want to be closer to me, oh my goodness, I'll share stuff with you about me, about my plan, about my will, about my purpose. I'll do that. And that's why, I mean, it's just sort of basic, and yet sometimes I think we just need to pause and, and think it through and remind ourselves of this. That's why when you and I are spiritually growing and maturing, all of a sudden our understanding level goes up, doesn't it? It's like we start to... We start to see God in sort of an enlarged, expanded way. And then His will and purpose. It, it, look, it's not that we're always going to understand everything about God. That'll never happen. But what Jesus is saying here is that when you are my friends, you will have a greater comprehension, insight, perception, and understanding of who I am and what I'm doing. Because you're my friend. You're closer to me. You know my heart. Which is exactly what He says here. Let me read that again. In fact, I was, so, I was so impacted by this verse myself several weeks ago that I wrote one of my blogs about it. I just thought, this is something we all need to be reminded of. Again, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. So even implied there is there was a time where the disciples of his were just attendants. They were just servants. They were just there as spectators watching Jesus work. But now through their spiritual growth and maturity and discipleship, they've come to a place of progress where they're no longer just spoken to as slaves or servants by him. Now they're spoken to as friends. Because they've come to a closeness with Jesus to where they understand his heart in a greater way than they did when they were mere servants. So Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, but the slave, because 
The slave does not understand. The slave, the servant, the attendant is not aware, doesn't comprehend, doesn't perceive what the master's doing and why he's doing it. So again, that's why in contrast, you have Christians who if they're walking in fellowship with God or whatever, they, again, not that we're going to know everything at all times about what God's doing and how he's doing it, but we're going to have a better understanding of God and what he's doing and why he's doing it than someone who's merely sitting on the sidelines and on the fringe with God and not in close contact or fellowship with God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I have called you friends because I've revealed, I've made known, I've declared to you everything I heard from my Father. Well, let's wrap this up, these last two verses. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Jesus saying, I deliberately and purposely selected you and placed you in a privileged position so that you would bear fruit. I gave you all the advantages. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you my word. I've given you my joy and my peace. I've given you everything that you need to prosper spiritually and bear fruit. And we must remember that. God places us in a privileged position. Not so that we can live for ourselves, but so that we can be fruitful spiritually. And notice then Jesus tacks this on. He says, fruit that remains, fruit that lasts, fruit that stands the test of time. That's what God's looking for. Are we producing fruit in our life that will stand the test of time? That will last? Because again, we live in a world where it's all about here today and gone tomorrow in a sense. What's the next thing? God's not interested in that. God's interested in the long-lasting, enduring, persevering fruit. You see. And that takes time. That's not something that's going to happen overnight. That's why I hope to encourage you, the spiritual growth that's happening in this church with many of you and with others, that's a slow, tedious, steady process. But folks, that's the kind of growth that is solidified and that's the kind of fruit that remains and lasts over the long haul. It's not the quick skyrocket up and then crash and burn real soon after. That's not what God is interested in. And then he ties this all together with prayer. And basically, again, is saying and repeating the same principle that he said to his disciples throughout this. That, look, if you're close to me, and you know my heart, and you're remaining in fellowship with me, and we're friends, then you get me. And because you get me and you understand me and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, then when you begin to ask and request things in prayer, you'll get it. Because you'll be aligning your prayers and what you're asking and what you're requesting with what you know me to be and what my heart is and what my priorities are and what I value. So that's why Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains, so that whenever you ask, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. 
This isn't a blank check to just say, well, whatever. No, again, building on the context. Remain in my love. Obey my commands. Experience my joy. Love one another. Lay down your lives for each other. Become a friend. Don't be satisfied to just be a servant of God. Strive to be a friend of God. One who is getting closer and closer to Jesus and to the heart of Jesus so that, so that He reveals more things to His trusted confidants and we then have greater clarity and understanding and comprehension in our life. And when all of that is taking place, then it obviously affects our prayer life. And our prayer life then looks different. The things that we pray for is going to be different than the things we used to pray for when we were servants. Now we're friends and we're closer. We get God more and what we should be praying for and how to pray. It's all part of our spiritual progression as His disciples. And it's how you and I stay in contact and connection with the One who right now is in heaven. And yet Jesus here is saying, you can be as close to me as you want to be. That's our responsibility. That's our choice. And so notice how he ends this great passage. Once again, he repeats a very important commandment. He says, this I command you, to love one another. Jesus obviously is, is sharing these truths with His disciples because He understands they want to stay close to Him. But notice what Jesus is also doing in this passage. Two other things. He's also reminding us, if you want to stay close to Me, then you've got to stay close to each other and love each other. Again, the body of Christ can't be separated from the head of the body, Christ. doesn't work that way. I, I can't be close to the head of the church if I'm not close to the body of Christ, His church. And the other thing that Jesus is saying here is this. Guys, I am physically going to be away. And next week, Jesus is going to lay on them what's coming for them. That, that they're going to experience as His faithful followers the same thing that He's getting ready to experience. The animosity and hatred of the world. And so Jesus here is trying to set them up, if you will, for success. And He's saying, guys, you're going to be in a hostile world. The world is going to hate you for My sake and for My name. So you, you, you can't abandon each other. You can't be out there trying to do this on your own. You, you need more than ever to be connected to each other and to love each other because it's one of the ways that I have created my body to be to help you navigate the animosity and hatred that's going to come your way. You need to be close to each other, loving each other and loving on each other so that you can mutually encourage each other to sort of counteract, if you will, and counterbalance all the hatred and animosity and adversity that's going to be coming at you as you continue to follow me. And that's something Jesus wanted to instill in His disciples. 
don't start heading your separate ways after I ascend back to heaven. Don't all 11 of you and the rest of my followers start scattering. Come together. And then I'll use you to start taking the gospel to the world and then through you, other local churches and community groups of believers will be built and established. But you stick together. And that's exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts. What do we see happening? The church is coming together, praying together, fellowshipping together, being taught, growing, all of that. Because they're being obedient to what Jesus says. They're learning to love each other and realizing that through these relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ, this is one of the great gifts. It's one of the great blessings, one of the great benefits and favor of God in our life. And so Jesus saying, I'm gone. I will be gone physically. So all the more reason for you guys to stay together and love each other. Because the hatred of the world is coming. And you all, you know that better than I do. Because as a pastor, I just get the cool thing of, for the most part, working with you great people. (laughs) You're the ones that's out there in the world during the week who's, you're living, in the, you're living in the hostility of the world. And your co-workers and your neighbors and all that, they, you know, it's tough. Especially if you're really going to be faithful to the Lord, it's tough because it's going to invite what Jesus says that automatically brings. All the more reason why you need a loving church family to be a part of so that it counteracts what you have to deal with in the world through the week to be able to come to a place like an oasis, if you will, and be refreshed and be encouraged and be around people who are like-minded, if you will. Who you know when you come to this place, they believe and they love Jesus just like I love Jesus. They want to live for Jesus and grow in Jesus just like I do. They want to pursue God in their life just like I want to pursue God. They want to worship God and and serve God and minister for God just like I do. And when you and I are part of a group like that, that is invaluable. And Jesus is laying that foundation right here in John chapter 15. So hopefully, one of the other things is we'll walk away from this maybe appreciating each other even more. And realizing what we have here and not taking it for granted. Let's pray. God, thank you for so clearly laying down for us how we can stay connected and in fellowship with you. God, I pray that each one of us wants to be so close and even ever closer to you, Jesus. That we're not satisfied, Lord, even where we're at, but, but we want to continue to grow and mature and, and, and have you reveal even more of yourself and your plan and your will to us so that we have even a greater understanding and insight and perception and comprehension into who you are and 
what you have planned. God, I pray that we'll just never stop wanting to be closer and closer to you. May we always strive to be your friend. Not just a servant. Not just your child. Not just someone who's in relationship with you, God, but someone who's in dynamic fellowship with you each and every day. Encourage us, God, with this passage of Scripture. Help us to meditate on it and ponder it and consider it in the days ahead. Inspire us and motivate us, Lord, by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you next week.